Well, welcome back to this week's episodes of Tales of the Resistance. This is a podcast all about antimicrobial resistance and how it impacts all of our daily lives. I'm Mara Zelt. I am the project manager with the I Am Responsible program, which is a nationwide extension effort um, looking at problems of antimicrobial resistance. And I'm going to be joined today on the podcast by the lovely Amber Patterson. Hello, hello. Um, Amber Patterson. I am the multimedia graphics designer for the Schmidt Lab, and I also work with the I Am Responsible team. Okay, so today we're kicking off a new sort of mini series on the Tales of the Resistance podcast. We have already introduced a lot of our team members and important collaborators, and you've got to learn about why they care so much about antimicrobial resistance. And we've talked pretty extensively about historical attitudes about infectious disease, how we understand our risk related to disease, and what that's going to mean for how we address antimicrobial resistance in the future. But now we're going to circle back a little bit and explore some of the topics we just mentioned when we were introducing our team members and really get to know um, what kind of work is being done in those fields are and how they can be applied to our daily lives as uh, listeners who are consumers of food, who are patients who will be using antibiotics, or who may be involved in food production or um, veterinary care or doctors or or anything else, anyone who has a role in antimicrobial resistance, because really that's all of us. So to start, we decided to go back to one of, I think, one of our favorite interviews so far, I think I'm not out of line in saying that, was with Dr. Gutierrez Rodriguez from Colorado State University. He was very passionate about this topic um, because it had personally touched his life. And so he had gotten interested in antimicrobial resistance within a field that is not commonly um, thought of as uh, when people think about the coming antimicrobial resistance problems. So we're going to talk to him a little bit more and we're going to dive into how antimicrobial resistance is impacting um, produce production. But before we do, um, I th- we're going to take a little step back here and just think about how produce production works and how antimicrobial resistance might be impacting that system. So how about you, Amber? Uh, what did you know about sort of farming, commercial farming for fruits and vegetables? Uh, little to nothing. I'm most interested in hearing him talk more about what can be done to prevent or combat AMR in produce processes. I know he touched on that a little bit the last time we spoke to him, but I'd really like to hear him get into that more because to my mind, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, what can you do? So it would be really interesting to, to hear what he has to say and what practices are being put in place. A little bit, not just about how to combat AMR, but just about food, how much um, science and knowledge goes into safe food production 
of all kinds. I think in the past, in this series, we've got to talk to people who are working in food safety, maybe with meat. And, and I think most people have an understanding of, of why that's important because, you know, uh, we always make sure that we cook our meat because there's the potential to have bacteria. Um, but there are still a lot of foods that we eat raw, um, fruits and vegetables being the primary examples. And that's why it's probably even more important when we think about food safety um, and safe food production, that um, those processes are uh, followed very well and that um, that production system is safe. We'll get to learn more about that from Eduardo. I'm excited to hear what he has to say. You know, welcome back again <laughs> to <laughs> an episode of Tales of the Resistance, Eduardo. Um, we we're very excited to have you back to talk more about how antimicrobial resistance in well in produce production. Well, thank you for having me here again, uh, Mara and Amber. I appreciate uh, this uh, very much. Um, so, you know, uh, the let me let, let's let's tr let's try to sort of put this going back in time and then trying to get up to where we are right now. So, growers, I love growers. They're down to earth. They're really people that love what they do. That they're engaged in what in the community that you know are trying their best, you know, for their own livelihood and for for, for sort of have this partnership. Of course, you have different sizes of growers, very large, small, medium, but all of them are uh, in true nature, really good human beings that thank God to them, we are able to have the food that we have in our plates, right? Of course, they have to deal with, with many different issues. And right now in fresh produce, it is all about preventing human pathogen outbreaks. That is, that is the, the, the need. There is the Food Safety Modernization Act, that in part was generated to try to prevent contamination instead of reacting for contamination. And so many of these new regulations associated with produce are looking to prevent contamination, to prevent risks at the farm. I guess the, the question that maybe many of us would ask ourselves is why do we have antimicrobial resistance in, in fresh produce, okay? So if we, if we go back in time, you know, again, I think in the previous podcast, I had mentioned that antibiotics were kind of around us in the 1940s. And then from that point on, the increased use in animal, human and other conditions has basically ramped up significantly. And that has allowed us to, to biotics being out there in the environment. And of course, microorganisms that are masters of uh, surviving in the environment, they have, you know, created the necessary tools to be able to resist or to uh, 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 sidestep some of these antibiotics uh, and therefore to basically become resistant and widespread in different scenarios. And so the question that since we know that these antibiotics, we were the ones that generated them. And then the question is, how do they get to produce, right? So we have to think of, you know, farming, you know, we based, uh, the Green Revolution has been based in basically the development of nitrous, phosphorus, and potassium fertilizers, the typical MPK uh, uh, synth uh, uh, synthetic fertilizers, but also we have depended on the use of manure and, and compost for generations, okay? And of course, during that process of 1940 going down, coming down to uh, where we are right now, one of the things that we have needed to do is increase the amount of food that we need. And, and, and so as we're doing that, you know, we find ourselves 
getting many of these uh, manure that is then used in compost or that is applied directly to the fields that is coming from, from fetal operations that some have used uh, wisely the antibiotics, some have not. And even though people have been responsible, there is still shedding of these uh, an, an antibiotics and antibiotic resistance going on into the environment. So when we do the typical treatments for compost and we try to achieve a specific log reduction of Salmonella, E. coli, and Listeria monocytogenes in this, in this manure, uh, although these processes have been validated to inactivate some of these or most of these uh, pathogens, there are many others that survive the composting or the heat treatments. And these many other organisms have those genes that then are easily transferred to other bacteria in the environment. So, so we, we believe because these microorganisms or these uh, antibiotics are not readily available in the environment, that the most likely source that could arrive or that made these arrive into farming operations is either through manure or, or composted manure, not because it was intentional or not because they were not properly treated, it's just because the treatments were linked or associated for the treatment of certain human pathogens because those are the ones of concern, but the treatments are not able to basically inactivate absolutely every single organism that is there. And so some of them are gonna have those resistant genes that then are easily transferred to other organisms that are in the environment. And so now we find ourselves going to, to certain farms and, and finding organisms that are resistant to antibiotics. So, so what do I do? So what, how does this sort of, and I, I wanted to give a little bit of this history before I get into what do I do. So what I try to do is try to understand the sources of contamination in fresh produce. What is the risk profile of these sources and of these practices and what are the remediation practices that we can implement at the farm to be able to reduce the level of contamination of human pathogens with fresh produce. Why? Because fresh produce doesn't have a kill step. In meats or in other scenarios, we can have a, a cooking treatment or some other type of treatment that basically eliminates these pathogens. But in fresh produce, we do not have that kill step. So it's all about minimizing as much as possible the risk of contamination. And so my research and extension components focus on trying to understand what does the everyday grower is doing at the farm and then trying to use science to understand contamination at the farm, at the packing house and in minimally processed foods when you're in the facility. And so if we understand this process, and that's what we hope, then we can understand the levels of risk that you can have on different practices, and hopefully then uh, come up with remediation practices that can reduce that level of contamination. It's, it's interesting you use, use the word risk um, in, in your conversation there. I think, and again, and this is something coming back to previous episodes, so um, we've, we've talked a little bit about this sort of difficulty in sort of the norm, the everyday consumer to understand what we mean when we're saying we're reducing risk, but that doesn't necessarily mean eliminating all potential of disease. And, you know, the most effective mitigation strategies are not elimination strategies. And, and um, especially when we're talking about something that is potentially deadly, um, how, 
difficult that is, you know, for for people to understand and to sort of accept that there will be some possible level of bacteria or resistance and and kind of how do they handle that within their own lives. For something like um, fresh produce, where, like you said, there isn't that kill step at the end, um, you know, you're doing all of these, the producers and the food safety sort of infrastructure is doing a lot to, as you say, reduce the risk, but you can't eliminate that potential. Um, do you have conversations with consumers who are concerned with, with that? Or how, how do you kind of talk to them about uh, what they can do in, for themselves in terms of, I guess, further reducing their risk of I love your question because I honestly think, and just, you know, again, just being colloquial a little bit here, I think the consumer has been the neglected child. <laughs> we kind of focus on many of the other things, but we have neglected to, to, to really uh, hone in and help the consumer understand the risks or, or the risks associated with, with, with food. One of the things that is important is that we as consumers are expecting that the food supply that we have is safe. Right. So um, if you have a canned product, if you have a cooked product, if you have, you know, baked products, those are for the most part quite safe and, and the risk of contamination is very low. Right. But when we're talking about uh, produce, um, unfortunately, more and more we see that that is not the case. And when we go to a supermarket and everything looks really nice and organized and clean and everything else in between, we have, I think, maybe this concept that everything in a supermarket is going to be almost risk free. And also, yeah, we, we haven't really um, taught the consumer, uh, in my case, in my view, I think sometimes in how to shop or, or, or shop for my Spanish is getting in the way here for fresh produce. I was yesterday with my daughters at the, at, at the store uh, buying food and, and there was this uh, individual literally touching every single piece of fruit that you can think of. Right. And, and, and so, you know, th there, there's quite a bit of um, potential risk to the consumer from ourselves if we do not wash our hands if we don't do this and if we go touching every single fruit that it is out there uh, uh, in the in the in the um, in the supermarket and so you know I, I think that we 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 need to try to uh, share with the consumer that there is a risk that comes from them for example by ex uh, touching every single piece of produce that you're trying to select there is a risk associated if you put your produce or you have your food in the car and you leave it there hours and hours and hours and hours, right? Because that could also be a problem. Uh, and, and of course, there is a risk of the consumer if, if it's mishandling meats or produce or things that are uncooked at their kitchen, right? And, and so many of these uh, situations have also led uh, to contamination events. And of course, there is a risk that is associated with production. So if we were to do a better job trying to sort of separate those two buckets, maybe it would help a little bit more the consumer um, understand this. And, and, and then I think one of the, the key things that you, that you mentioned here is whether we should tell the consumers that there is a risk associated with consuming raw fresh produce. And, and I think that the industry is, is debating this quite a bit, and especially with the latest outbreaks of um, uh, associated with romaine lettuce and with lettuces, you know, with Listeria monocytogenes and with E. coli 157A7, that, um, you know, 
even FDA is, is, is really reconsidering whether, whether, whether this is, um, and I'm trying to be here a little bit colloquial here with, with the respect to all these agencies and groups that are doing an amazing job, you know, back, back in, the, in, the, in the day, uh, ground meat was kind of like that, that product associated with a, with a contamination of a human pathogen. It, it, it almost sounds like right now, some of these leafy greens are getting to that level category. And of course, nobody wants that in the industry because everybody is doing everything they can and throwing millions and millions of dollars to try to be able to prevent those, 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 those risks or those levels of contamination. But I think that specifically to the consumer, I think um, educating them in, in those aspects that I talk about, their, their, their responsibility uh, as they're handling their food and understanding some of the risks that, can, that could come from their foods, maybe in that way, uh, we will be able to, to you know, to maybe, um, what would be the best way to say this? You know, maybe find a balance here in 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 in, in this issue, uh, and maybe help a little bit more when there is a problem in, in the medical side of things. Uh, gray areas within the industry that 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 pose a, a problem here. So you know, I think being able to to clearly discuss these these aspects from the consumer side of things, and then clearly identifying the risk associated with production, maybe will help the consumers and in general the food chain. To, to get a better handle around this. Agreed. Well, and we have to hope that that's kind of part of our mission here. And exactly. listening to your podcast, it's going to change some minds. Hey. <laughs> I do, I do want to ah. come back to the, what you were talking a little bit about um, the sort of practices, remediation practices that may be effective. Have you had, like, in the work that you've done or work that you, in your field that you've read about, are there some things that seem promising that um, in terms of how we can remediate these pathogens or antimicrobial resistance more specifically? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a bit of, uh, of, of individuals that have done some excellent work trying to look at uh, remediation practices at the farm. Some folks have used um, cover crops, some use, have used um, plastic culture. You know, there's been um, we have been a little bit slow in putting out or, or some of our own publications about this too, but uh, I think more and more people are looking at ways in which you can remediate soil contamination or water contamination, which I think two of the biggest uh, sources of human pathogen contamination that could have an organism that is antimicrobial resistant. So I think that in the next, you know, three or five years, there's going to be quite a, quite a bit of, of body of literature or new literature that is going to come out uh, looking at um, practical things that can be done at the farm to reduce the contamination of human pathogens, right? We could come up with some very clever and, and unique ways that may not be able to be applicable in real life. And, and I think that that's one of the issues that we've had is that there are so bringing a product from the bench top to the real life, it's a labor of love. And, and, and many people that have worked in R&D know this, that you know, a vast majority of the products or the approaches that you develop in this R&D process never make it to real life. And, and, and so there have been some promising aspects, but none of them have been able to make it to real life. And, and, and I think that in these next three to five years, the key is to be able to come up with some of these practices that can be applied in real life scenarios that could allow us to uh, remediate contamination of, uh, of these human pathogens. I think that in my personal view, 
the Holy Grail is soil, since it's such a diverse environment and it's able to sustain so many different uh, microorganisms and so many different nutrients. Uh, and, and, and I don't know, from all the experiments that I've done in California and North Carolina, Colorado, and abroad, I, 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 I go always back to soil. I, I feel like soil is, is one of those potential sources of contamination or water. And so imagine if you have an acre of land and there is some sort of contamination and you need to treat that acre of land. How do you treat it? Uh, is it effective? Are you treating it in a way that would not, uh, 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 that would not prevent growing any future crops because the treatments are so harsh that then the soil becomes useless, right? Are we contaminating our groundwater by this treatment? So there's, it's not a simple, it's not a simple solution because we need to take into account soil health, plant health, water health, uh, because those are limited resources. So um, from the remediation side, uh, like I said, in the next three or five years, I hope that more and more of my colleagues and, and myself will be able to put out there some of uh, some real life. Uh, uh, remediation practices that can that can give some hope when when we find these 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 problems out there um, I think that uh, right now uh, we, we don't have some of those there that can be applied at big scale levels um, and 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 we need to you know keep looking at it but but um, if we were to be able to to provide a good three log reduction four log reduction in soil that would be a monumental achievement. I want to end up in, in, in that positive note in, in that there is a lot of people working on this. Um, the focus has been, again, in preventing outbreaks and not much as in discussing antimicrobial resistance. But again, I feel like if we're able to reduce some of those outbreaks, then the likelihood of having a, a human pathogen that, is anti that has antimicrobial resistance is going to be lower, although that necessarily uh, that, could, that could hold. Uh, but again, um, I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of very bright minds out there in different universities and in different countries uh, doing amazing work. And so hopefully in the next three or five years, we'll see a little bit more uh, solutions. Um, uh, and I think in the meantime, we all as consumers have a responsibility to use properly the antibiotics when we are needed to make sure that we are uh, handling ourselves in a good way when we're buying or handling uh, uh, fruits or vegetables. And because the growers and, and our state regulators are already doing their part, trying to, to, to reduce the risks that are out there. Indeed, we all have a role. That's the best takeaway message from, from all of these episodes, probably. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us again, Eduardo. It was great, a great uh, conversation that we were able to get into. No, thank you, Mara and Amber. It's always a pleasure to talk to you about these things. And I hope you have a good day. You as well. Thank you. Take Thank care. you. Uh, any surprises or takeaways from that? Um, are you looking at your garden differently after our discussion? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely considering like, what am I applying to my garden? Um, <clears throat> how am I handling my produce after it's been harvested? And I'm by far not a master gardener, but I do garden. And so uh, it definitely got me thinking about some of the applications and, you know, really washing my vegetables well and, and things like that. Key points about how we can maintain food safety, even though antimicrobial resistance is, is highly prevalent in soil because it's sort of naturally occurring there. And that so many 
processes that we do in farming, not just the application of antibiotics, although antibiotics are used sometimes in um, fruit and vegetable production, um, but also so many other products that we use may be causing so those same selective pressures on potentially human pathogens as well. 